This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Troy L. Love, the author of Finding Peace, a workbook on healing from loss, rejection, neglect, abandonment, betrayal, and abuse. Human beings are wired for connection, physically, emotionally, neurologically, and spiritually. When something happens to damage our most important relationships, there can be lifelong consequences. Finding Peace is the fusion of a fictional storyline and a workbook that describes the core of peace, a model of healing from the wounds of loss, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, neglect, and abuse. This book is for anyone serious about healing these attachment wounds, ready to become honest about changing their life, and willing to be vulnerable. The book explores the lives of eight different characters who meet together for eight weeks to explore the underlying reasons why they battle depression, anxiety, body image issues, and relationship challenges. The reader accompanies them on their journey to uncover the truths about who they are and how they can find lasting peace and joy from within. They discover how the shadows of shame hijack their lives. They learn about a powerful meditation that can heal deeply. They learn about challenging the negative messages that seem to be tattooed on their hearts. They explore how connection can provide courage and healing and ultimately find lasting peace. A two-time Amazon best-selling author with his third book, A Year of Self-Love, published in 2019, Troy L. Love is on a quest to help individuals, couples, and organizations find greater peace, joy, happiness, and success. Troy serves as the president and clinical director of Yuma Counseling Services. He has over 20 years of experience in the mental health field. Troy received his master's degree in social work from the University of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 2000, and much of his training has focused on addiction recovery. Troy also received certification in human resource studies from Cornell University. He recently completed certification as a sexual addiction treatment professional from Mid-Nazarene University. Troy specializes in working with individuals' trauma-related concerns, couples struggling in their relationships, and individuals who numb their pain through compulsive or addictive behaviors. Troy also helps couples find deeper connection. Troy is training in EMDR, a research-based treatment for trauma survivors, brain spotting, emotionally focused couples therapy, and addiction recovery. Troy uses his unique set of skills to help individuals seeking personal healing and for organizations who are seeking to improve outcomes. 
Troy's workshops, lectures, and group discussions have helped hundreds of people explore sensitive issues, increase understanding, and take to action towards change. His down-to-earth, humorous teaching style helps participants feel safe enough to examine their core issues required for change. Here is the interview with Troy L. Love. In your own words, who is Troy L. Love? Well, I am a psychotherapist. I'm an author. I'm a father. I am a man who's just trying to do the best to be my best self and make a difference in the world and help people find light and joy in their lives. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Finding Peace, a workbook on healing from loss, rejection, neglect, abandonment, betrayal, and abuse, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is your understanding and idea of peace? So, peace for me is a sense that even though there is hardship, even though there is pain, even though there is challenge, peace is this feeling like it's going to be okay. That I can still have love. I can love wholeheartedly. I can feel loved from other people. I can experience joy. I can find gratitude in the day-to-day moments. And that in the end, it's, it's going to be all right. That it's, it's a sense of comfort. It's a sense of assurance that everything's going to be okay. I love that. And that makes me think about trust. Mm. Trusting whatever we believe in, right? In my case, it's trusting the universe. Right. Trusting life itself. Yeah. Having that hope that faith um, in the higher power universe, whatever you identify that with, that even though we do endure hard things, and especially in 2020, how many hard things have we had to endure so far? But that in the end, it's going to be all right. And it's even in the moment, it's going to be all right. I find it very interesting the way you connect peace to pain. Talk to me about that. So in the book, there's a graphic of a yin and yang. So on one side is pain and on the other side is peace. And as much as we would love to live in a world where there was just peace and there was no pain, that is not the world. That's not the reality of the world that we live in. Um, And so they work together. In fact, as much as we wish that we didn't have pain, pain helps us understand what peace feels like. When, when we are not in pain, we realize, oh, that is, you know, this is a wonderful, peaceful, joyful experience. And so when we're in pain, it helps us long for peace. And when we're in peace, it gives us an opportunity to be grateful for the pain that we've had to endure in our lives because it's helped us grow. It's helped us um, become who we are. It's guided our path. And so they go together. Um, if we were, if we removed, if we removed pain from our lives, we would never recognize that we were in peace. We wouldn't even, we wouldn't even understand that what we're experiencing in that moment is peace. We would just not even, we wouldn't 
be able to even comprehend that. So they go together as much as we don't want them to, as much as we'd like to just live in bliss and serenity and joy and all of that. We do have to have pain in order to experience the gratitude for the life experiences that we have. I'm wondering if we can experience peace and harmony without pain. Do you think it's possible at all? I don't think that it is. Because part of part of the pain, I mean, you think about just childbirth in and of itself. That's a painful experience. I, I will never know what that feels like, you know, because, <laughs> True. But, but that's a painful experience. And yet yeah. uh, how much joy, how much love, how much Uh, how much blessing comes out of that very painful experience. So if we didn't have pain, um, we wouldn't we wouldn't maybe even appreciate the the blessing that we now have because there was nothing. Uh, I don't know. I'm not using the right words to explain, it, but there there wasn't any effort involved, and so it's not as cherished. That's very profound. What you just said about the pain and birth, just coming into this world, it's very painful. If that's true. So that says something that the human experience, it's not possible without pain. And would you say that pain is our greatest teacher? If we let it. Mm, right. When you read the title of the book, you read the words like loss and neglect and rejection and abandonment, betrayal and abuse. Those are what I call attachment wounds. So as humans, um, we are wired for connection. Physiologically, spiritually, emotionally, um, we're wired to be connected. And even in childbirth, you are the baby is literally connected to the mom. So, um, And then as we go through this life, things happen that, that break those connections. And those are the wounds, loss, neglect, abandonment, betrayal, and abuse. And those become the painful parts of our life. So when we look at that yin and yang and we're looking at pain, it's those wounds that really are, are the source of the pain, but it's not actually the rejection or the abandonment or the neglect that causes us the pain. It's actually what we end up believing about ourselves as a result. And so when we look at pain, we can use that to teach us one lesson, which would be a negative lesson, or use the same experience to teach us a positive lesson. So it depends on how open we are to looking at and and exploring what is it that I have come to believe about myself because of these attachment wounds. And that's, I think, where the healing happens, as well as that's where the suffering occurs. When we hold on to these negative beliefs that I'm, I'm bad or I'm flawed or there's something wrong with me, man, it's really hard to connect with peace in those moments. But that gives us an opportunity to challenge that and actually find out whether that's true or not true. I'm wondering what makes us to become more open to the lessons behind the pain. I believe that when we feel, there's a couple of contingencies I think that have to happen in order for that to be there, but one of them is safety. I need to be able to believe that I can, I can explore these things that are going on with me and that it's going to be okay. They did an experiment, uh, an experiment called the the strange situation and it's an attachment uh, style of experiment where they put this 
toddler in a room with their mom in a, like a waiting room of a, a doctor's office. And then a stranger comes into the room and then they just look to see how comfortable the child is in exploring the room with the stranger. And then they ask the parent to leave the room for a little while and, and just see how the child responds to the stranger. And sometimes the child does not handle it very well and sometimes the child is perfectly fine. And it is all about the child's perception that I'm still safe. If the child perceives that there's a threat with this stranger in the room and they, they'll go cling to their mom as would be natural, but if they feel like it's going to be okay, then they're able to continue to explore the world. And that's, I think, how it is for us as well. When we have that assurance, when we have that peace that everything's going to be okay, it actually gives us courage to go out into the world and accomplish and try things out. But if we hold on to those beliefs that I'm not enough, there's something wrong with me, it holds us back. What is another word for healing, Troy? Wow, that is a wonderful question. I use the analogy sometimes uh, when I'm talking about these wounds as a sunburn. And so you get burned, you, you were out in the sun too long, you forgot to put sunblock on. And so now you're, you're baked and it's very, very painful. And in that place, we become very defensive, very protective. We don't want anyone to come near us. We don't want anyone to accidentally bump into us. And so we put up some barriers to to that. Um, and then when the but then when the wound, when the sunburn heals, then we put the barriers down. So when we look at it with a, an emotional or a connection perspective, when we have these wounds, we sometimes will put the walls up and protect ourselves from getting close. We will um, become defensive. So healing for me is not only is the wound like healed and it's not tender and painful anymore, but also healing is I've been able to pull the walls down. I've been able to be vulnerable. I've been able to share my whole heart with you and you were able to accept it. You were able to love it. And even if you weren't able to accept it, I still know that it's okay for me to be able to be vulnerable and real. And to me, that is part of that healing process. That's another word for healing is I'm able to, I'm able to be free. Is that what freedom means to you? Yeah, freedom to be able to say the things that I want to say, to believe that I have the capability of doing the things that I want to do and not letting fear hold me back. To me, that's freedom. Not letting habits and compulsions hold me back, but to be able to be free to be the best me that I can be with all of my talents and abilities that the universe has blessed me with. You wrote your new book. The title is really interesting. A Year of Self-Love. Yes. And that makes me think when you talk about healing the way you do, it makes me think about unconditional self-love. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I believe that it is really important to unconditionally love yourself. I know that it's really hard for people to do. Do you outline some practices in your book? Yeah, so the year of self-love is 365 entries, one entry per day that is just a reminder of a, a different way or sometimes it's an exercise, sometimes it's just a quote, sometimes it's just a thought to ponder, but it gives you something very simple every day to reflect on how can I love myself a little better. And, you know, some people get 
a little confused about self-love thinking, well, that's selfishness or arrogance, and that's totally not what it is. It's that uh, for me, it's recognizing, you know, I'm human. I make mistakes. I am not perfect. I have wounds. And rather than shaming myself and beating myself up and telling me that I'm an awful person, uh, heal, wounds heal better when we douse them with love and empathy whether that's our own wounds or the wounds of our loved ones. So um, when we can practice self-love and compassion, it actually creates an environment for healing to happen on a much faster and, and effective basis. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? My vision, I'm going to answer the second part of that question first. My vision for a new reality is that we see the value and in each other, that we see that every person brings value and gifts and talents to the world. And if we really were able to recognize that as a world, there would not be the, the, the inequality that exists across the globe. And I recognize that I'm a white male, so what do I get, you know, what what platform do I get to ha stand on? You know, I, I, I grew up with, with privilege that other people didn't, but that's part of that, that vision of a world is, wouldn't it be wonderful if we, we really could see that everybody has talents and abilities and extended that that privilege and that blessing to everybody and that some people didn't have to fight for that or never experience that in their life, I think our world would be so much more abundantly blessed if we could do that. But right now, that's that's not what it is. So to answer this, the first part of that question, what do I think that the world needs to be? Um, I think that the world needs to comprehend every person in the world needs to comprehend who they are the being of light that they are, the gift uh, um, and the talents and abilities that they have, and, and also to be able to accept the gifts and talents that other people have. And in that place, we build on each other when we build a place of love and joy. And um, I just, I think that if we were in that place, the technology that we would have would be mind-blowingly amazing. Um, the, there wouldn't be hunger, there wouldn't be suffering, there wouldn't be riots, there wouldn't be um, racial, racial, in, racial uh, racism and all of that stuff. If we really could recognize the, the light that each one of us has. And that goes back to the work you teach and what I believe in with all my heart is practicing, cultivating this self-understanding, self-awareness, self-knowledge, unconditional self-love. I have two more questions for you, perhaps three. What, where, and who is God to you? For me, I come from the Christian perspective, um, but I also believe that others are able to have their own view and their own um, sense of what God is or isn't for them. I believe that if I, you know, to quote the scripture, God is love. God is a being of light and love who wants nothing more than for his, his children. And I do identify him as a male, but 
um, again, that's just my own perspective, but he loves his children. He, and he wants nothing more than for his children to experience joy, to be happy, to love each other, and to have the most amazing blessings that could be poured down upon them possible. I, I truly believe that, that is, that's the God that I worship and the God that I love is one who, who really does love me and sees my value and wants me to have the blessings and the joy and experience this world that has been created for us to uh, see the beauty of the sky and to smell the beauty of the flowers and all of that, to be able to experience that. I love that. I love your last name and um, Thank you. God's love. Right. It goes back to love. It always goes back to love, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Finding Peace? And also, how did you become a writer? So when I started to go to college, I didn't know really what I wanted to do with my life. I, I thought I might want to be a doctor. I thought I might want to be an English professor. I, I, I had really no idea what I wanted to do. And so I bounced around from class to class. And I just because of one of my generals um, was introduction to social work, I took that class. And there was something about that teacher and the way that he taught that just i could resonate with that 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 was that was what i wanted to do i wanted to help people i wanted to make a difference in people's life and so i pursued a, a course in social work and i had another professor one day who told me troy if you really want to be a good social worker if you want to be effective if you really want to make a difference in other people's life you're going to need to do your own work and what she meant by that was she i needed to be able to take a look at the things that have happened to me in my life the struggles that i've had to deal with and all of that and i would need to come to some sense of peace around them so that they don't actually infiltrate my ability to work with other people that they don't get in the way and when she told me that i thought uh I don't, you don't know what you're talking about my life is my life is fine i you know i grew up fine but Really, I didn't. I, I grew up in a home where there was a lot of domestic violence. Um, I grew up uh, very bullied in, in middle school, per, uh, bullied a lot, um, chased, beaten up, those kind of things. Um, I was adopted. I was adopted at birth. And so some issues around who was I, why did my birth mother give me up? Those were some issues that I had never really faced that they were present, but I never really looked at them. And so as I continued to get older and I began to fall into some struggles with addiction and 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 conflict in my relationships, I I was sitting in uh, I was actually an intern getting my master's degree in social work at the University of Pittsburgh and I'm sitting in this internship at Gateway Rehabilitation Center where I'm working with alcoholics and, and drug addicts, individuals who suffer with those addictions. And I didn't think that I would be able to relate to them at all. But as they started to tell their stories, I realized, wow, I have some work to do. And I, I remember my teacher saying, Troy, if you want to be a good social worker, you have some work to do. And that sent me on a journey to figure out how do I heal from what I uh, uh, 
then began to call the attachment wounds, uh, the, the loss, the neglect, the rejection, the abandonment that I had experienced in my life. How do I begin to heal those? And so I started my private practice and I started to teach the, my clients about attachment wounds. And I started to formulate this model of how we heal from those. And that's what the book is all about. And then I'd start to teach people and they wanted to know, well, where can I read more about this? This is, this is a wonderful model. What, what can I, and I'm like, well, I don't know. That's like in my head. And they're like, well, you should write a book. And so I finally decided, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a book. And so that's really what led me to to write it. So in 2017, I sat down um, and I started writing the book as a way of helping me formulate my model a little bit better. But in the end, truthfully, I wrote the book for me because I needed to have a better understanding of how I can find peace in my life. And I was hoping that in in my journey, it would also bless other people and finding peace in theirs. And there's something about writing that's so healing and magical. What were the most profound insights that you found? So one of the struggles that I had when I very first started writing it, it was very much a traditional self-help book where it there's a voice, uh, like a almost like a didactic kind of teacher model um, and just talking at you. And to be honest, as I was writing that, I was getting bored. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so I sat with that for a little while and I thought, okay, how can I make this a little bit more interesting for me? And so what I did is I created a fictional group. And so the, the book is half workbook and half novel. So it has there are eight individuals who come to this group and each one of them has one of those attachment wounds and they interact with each other. And um, many people who've read the book say that they feel like they are the ninth member of the group. They feel like they are included in this group. But I wrote, and so that, that, that was one of the biggest ahas for me as being to find a way to tell a story that would be entertaining, but also teach. And you can watch through example how these these individuals do the exercises in the workbook themselves and how they process that. So that that for at least for for me as a writer, that was really important. Um, people I think learn better when they hear stories um, because they can resonate with them. The other part was as I started to get near to the end and I was really trying to look for how do we heal these wounds? How do we rewrite these negative core messages? It really made me start to look at my efficacy as a therapist. And I, I began looking for what are the tools and, and resources that are available out in the world for someone to really be able to experience ultimate healing. And I do believe that we can heal from these wounds. And so it pushed me to look for interventions. And I write about some of them in the book, but it's, it's pushed me as a therapist to continue being open-minded and looking at all kinds of ways that I can help my clients find healing and, and get these wounds healed. And so that was the other part that I walked away from the book is continuing to search for tools and strategies to help healing become possible. I love the way you gave us the opportunity to write and 
like become writers too and express ourselves through writing. It's one of the most powerful healing tools I know. Thank you. You get to color in the book too. Mm-hmm. You can uh, um, use art and other things. So yeah, coloring, I, I, right? I love that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. You bring this fun to it. It's healing a process, do you feel? Or is there a point, a time when we know when we are healed? You know, it's kind of like when the sunburn goes away. It's a very gradual thing. But you notice that it's healed when you don't jump when somebody touches your shoulder. Um, You notice that it's healed when there's not that fight or flight response. Um, And, you know, the fight or flight response has been with us for for generations and generations as a way of trying to keep us safe. When the wounds are very painful, we definitely go into fight or flight response because we don't want anyone to get near the wounds. But when they begin to heal, the way that we know that is I'm not as defensive. I'm more open. I'm more introspective. I'm more willing to listen to your point of view. Um, I am more compassionate with myself. I'm not as judgmental about other people. So those are some of the ways that I think we begin to notice that we're healing. But could that still happen from time to time? We still feel hurt? Yes. So I love the analogy of of the broken heart. Well, let me use a different analogy and kind of go put those together. So uh, if you've ever climbed up a spiral staircase, yeah, it goes round and around and around. Okay. So that I, because this is an audio um, and I can't <laughs> use my hands, I, I, we'll just imagine that the south side of the spiral staircase represents one of our wounds. Okay. So we start at the bottom of the staircase. It's on the south side. And... Uh, I'm dealing with a wound of rejection. And so I begin to climb up the staircase and I make a lot of progress. I'm able to identify that I'm enough and that I matter and, and that I'm worthy of love and belonging. And I think, wow, I, I think I've overcome this wound. It's, it's gone. It's great. Well, as I've been doing that, I have been making progress. I've been moving up the spiral staircase, but eventually I'm going to come back to the south side of the staircase. Now, I may be a story higher than I was before, and I've made some progress. I've moved up, but now I've come to the south side, and oh, wow, there's another facet of rejection that I didn't notice. There was another belief that I had about myself because of rejection that I didn't notice. And now I have the opportunity to work on that. And so up the staircase I go. And and so we keep running into these things. Um, but every time that we do, we're evolving, we're growing, we're moving higher in our energy, we're moving higher in our ability to love ourselves, but we still will run into these wounds sometimes. And the other part is we live in an imperfect world. So there are people that that do have the intention of wanting to cause harm. There are people that, um, have, because of their own woundedness, because of their own pain, will inflict pain on other people. And that is that can create suffering for ourselves. And what we are doing as we're healing is that we're recognizing, wow, that person is wounded. I have compassion for them. I hope that they can heal as well. And I'm going to do wound care for myself. 
just like when a child falls down and uh, off a bike and skins their knee and we go kiss it better, we put a Band-Aid on there and we do some wound care around that. That's what we're going to do for our wounds. It may not be as big as it once was, but we may fall down and scrape our knee a little bit and we need to do wound care as well. It seems like it's a practice for life in a way, isn't it, Troy? Yes. I have questions about limited beliefs. I would like to understand that better. Do we replace them, add new ones, and remove the old ones, or it's all the three? That is wonderful. So there are, to me, there are three genres of negative or limited beliefs. And the first genre is about me and my identity. For example, I am bad. I'm unworthy. I'm no good. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm, but it's all about me. Like I am, there's, I'm flawed and defective. So that's the first genre. The second genre is about safety or trust. Um, so with that genre, it's like I can't, I can't trust other people. I can't depend on other people. The world is a dangerous place. There's nowhere that I can go to find comfort in healing. And the third genre is, uh, is a, about our power or our powerlessness. So from a limited perspective, it's about I'm powerless. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm awful. You know, the, so the first genre, I'm bad. The second genre, the world is unsafe. And the third is, and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that's really doom and gloom when all three of those core beliefs have been activated. So part of it is challenging those and asking ourselves, well, is that really true? What evidence do I have to support that it isn't true? And in that process, we begin to break apart what we thought were the truths. In fact, today, just today, I was talking to a client and I said, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the rules by which you've been running your life? And he, one of his rules, it's a core belief, is I'm not allowed to feel joy. Well, that's a powerlessness feeling. Uh, I'm not allowed to feel joy. And that's also a worldview, like I can't. And like, so, you know, you've had that since you were five years old. How true is it? And he's, he's, he was wrestling with that. He's like, I think it's really true for me. It's a, it's a hundred percent true. And so we sit with that and we realize that he's like, I don't know if I can get rid of that core belief. I'm, I'm not sure that I can ever change that. But the goal is, yeah, let's let us change that. So those core beliefs get tattooed on our nervous system. In the book, I say it gets tattooed on our heart. But the more that I've learned about um, how our bodies work, it actually gets tattooed on our nervous system. And so every time the hint of rejection, the hint of neglect, the hint of betrayal happens, it activates that core belief and then our body responds. So the ultimate goal then is to be able to go in and to do tattoo removal. Mm -hmm. yeah, like we're going to replace that tattoo with a different one that says, I'm enough. I matter. I can have a voice. And in this guy's case, I can experience joy. And there's a lot of different modalities that we can use to try and make that happen. But we really are wanting them to connect with the truth that has actually always been there and the negative core beliefs have covered it up. So we want to remove the tattoo and, re and reveal what was already underneath there, which was, I'm enough, I matter, I can trust, I can love, I have power, I have choices. 
And how much freedom does a person experience when that's the paradigm from which they view the world? So it's replacing the old beliefs, not necessarily removing them, right, Troy? Is that possible to remove old beliefs? I think it is, because once, once we challenge it and we realize, you know, this belief is actually not serving me anymore. There may have been a time in my life where it did, but it's not serving me anymore. It's, it's how we would respond to anything else. If it's not adding value to our lives, then we're going to let it go. You know, Marie Kondo in her Netflix, video, uh, her Netflix series of Does It Spark Joy? If it doesn't, then let it go. It's kind of like that. This core belief is not sparking joy in my life, so I'm going to let it go. And we can let it go. And what we hold on to in its stead is the truth, the one that's actually always been there, that I am enough, that I matter, that I can love. What are the challenges that the people you work with face the most? In my case, it was the fear of identity, not knowing what to do. If I change completely, then I will lose the people around me because I won't be me anymore. That is a legitimate fear. <laughs> and, and even talking with the guy today, uh, his fear is, wow, if I let go of that fear or that belief that I can't experience joy, like he was almost having a panic attack as I was talking to him. Just like, wow, that that's so scary. Um, so there, that's the challenge. It's like, I've been holding on to these core beliefs for decades. Um, who will I be if I let it go? What will I be like? How will that impact my relationships? And the truth is, we don't know. And so there is some vulnerability in that. And so that becomes, um, that is sometimes what prevents somebody from making the changes that they need to make in their life because the fear of abundance can be scary. The fear of um, uh, freedom can be scary. The, the fear of all of that can be so intimidating that they, they continue to orchestrate playing small in their lives. So, wow, that's true because we learn to hold on to things in order to feel safe. Being open and being vulnerable to the unknown, that is the door to healing for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. In lots of practices. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the phrases that uh, we use a lot in therapy is lean into the discomfort. It's going to be uncomfortable. Lean into it, breathe into it, and, and you're going to be all right. The section where you talk about numbing and mutating emotions, you have numbing behaviors and you list intellectualizing. So that caught my attention. Like, talk to me about that. Why is this a numbing or how is this a numbing behavior? So since I wrote the book, I add another word after numbing. So numbing or protective behaviors. So intellectualizing is, is a way of numbing or is a way of protecting myself because if I can stay up in my head, then I don't have to feel. I don't have to feel the emotions. I don't have to feel the sadness. I don't have to feel the anger. I don't have to feel the joy. I don't have to feel the fear. And so I'll just stay up in my head and that is a protective or numbing behavior. And, and the the issue with that then is that I am not living a wholehearted life because emotions are part of living a wholehearted life. We, we experience joy and we're going to experience sadness and we're going to have to grieve and sometimes we're going to have to express our anger. But if I stay up in my head, it prevents me from actually 
moving through those emotions and then I get stuck. And when I get stuck, then what I uh, it will experience are those mutated emotions. So sadness mutates into depression. Um, fear mutates into anxiety. Um, sadness mutates into complacency. Anger mutates into resentment and jealousy and bitterness. And so they mutate into darker, more powerful emotions that keep us stuck. And so when we're numbing, it's going to keep us stuck. When we stop numbing, we can go back to that sense of peace and just be ourselves. But how do we balance living from the heart and also being in the mind and the realm of the mind and intellectualizing certain things? Well, I love that you use the word balance because uh, that is that's the answer. We definitely have the we have the blessing or the gift of being able to have knowledge and wisdom. And we definitely need to be able to use that so we can make wise choices in our lives. But if we do that purely on a logical basis, I love, you know, Star Trek, the old Star Trek, Spock is an example of somebody who intellectualizes. Um, he stays up in his head. But if you if you really watch the Star Trek series, he's actually very much an emotional creature, but he's not allowed himself, he's been trained not to allow himself to have emotion. And that's part of this process is how do I use my cognitive intellect and the skills and knowledge that I have and yet to do it with a heart that has love and joy and compassion? How do I balance those two? And that is what makes us show up. It, that's what attracts us to other people. It's you know, people are attracted to our intelligence, but they're also attracted to the fact that I'm human, that I'm going to be real. I'm going to be honest and open, and I'm not going to pretend that I don't have any emotions at all, and I'm not going to pretend that I'm perfect. I'm going to be human, and that is what helps us connect to each other. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final questions? Wow. Well, how about... Um, if I read, today is June 11th, um, even though I know it's going to come out um, later. But how about if I just read today's um, entry from A Year of Self-Love? Yeah, sounds wonderful. It's a quote by J.K. Rowling from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Um, and I put that in there because it takes, it's what we've been talking about, that authenticity, that courage to be ourselves. Um, and that, that comes from a sense of being able to love ourselves. And so uh, just um, that, that's one of the things that I continue to try and help people connect with is their, their own light, their own truth. And then helping them step into that with bravery and courage and compassion. Right. Compassion. Yeah. And that made me think the second part of the quote about standing up to a friend's ability to say no. Well, that's where boundaries come in. Right. And honestly, if you don't love yourself, you're not going to have very good boundaries. Um, you're going to try and people please because that's your way of trying to soothe some of that rejection and abandonment. But when you really do love yourself, then it's so much easier to have boundaries around that and say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, that's not okay. And I can do that. 
um, because I feel empowered because I know that I'm enough. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Wow. Well, I think I'm still trying to learn that lesson, to be honest. <laughs> that, uh, that I matter. Just something that I've been working on lately is I felt like there's some things that have happened in my life recently that really have made me take a look at changes that I feel like I need to make. One of those is taking better care of my body. And I've thought about uh, joining like a martial arts gym or like a CrossFit gym or something like that. And as I started to look just yesterday, as I started to look up the gyms and reach out and start talking to people, the the wounds of being bullied in junior high in my gym class just came roaring back. And it's kind of like what we talked about before. I was like, oh, I thought I was done with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, they're right there. Mm-hmm. And that fear of like, okay, are they going to accept me? Mm-hmm. Um, I get, am I going to be made fun of if I go to these places? That fear shows up. And then it gives me an opportunity to breathe into it and say, you know what? Maybe they will, probably they won't, um, but it gives me an opportunity to do some more work around my rejection wound. And um, so in a roundabout way, I'm hoping I'm answering your question that for me, the hardest part of this journey has been facing those wounds and, and leaning into them and recognizing what do I end up believing about myself and then challenging those and coming to a place of I'm worthwhile. And it's okay that I can go to the gym and connect. And maybe, maybe I'll make a friend. And um, how wonderful would that be to have another person in my life who can love me and I can love them? We know enough now to stay with it and not to push away or trying to run from it. (laughs) That won't help you. It keeps coming back anyway. That's right. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? That, I ask myself that often. If today was the last day of my life, um, how would I spend it? And I, would, I think I would spend time with my loved ones. I, I, would, I would remind them how much they are worthy of love and belonging. I would... I would remind them of their gifts and abilities. I would express gratitude for the presence they've had in my life. I would want to laugh and play with them and hug a little longer and snuggle a little longer. Those are some of the things that I would want to do if it was the last day of my life. Yeah, sounds wonderful to me. Thank you. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I know that we are eternal beings. I know that we are beings of light that are not stepping into our full capacity. That, uh, and I don't mean that to be negative, like there's so much more. I know that there's so much more that we have the ability to be able to tap into if we really want it. And the third thing that I know wow, as I'm, I'm sitting with that, I'm, I'm getting a little bit emotional. Uh, <laughs> That I know that we matter, that I matter, that you matter, that your listeners matter, that they, they are um, worthy of love, that they 
they have gifts and talents and abilities. I know that. I know that. And they have. They are making a difference. We all are making a difference. And sometimes I think the core belief is, well, who? Well, I'm not. I can't make a difference. I don't have a voice. And that, that I know that you do. You have a voice, and the work that you're doing, Valeria, in in sharing joy and peace in this world matters. I know that. I love that what you just said, Troy. Yeah, everyone matters, and it's so beautiful when we find out, when we realize that. Thank you so much for your message. Oh, my word. It's been such a wonderful pleasure. Where can we find more information about you, your products, books, services, and future projects? So the easiest place to go is to TroyLLove.com. Um, and there I do have a free Finding Peace five-day challenge. And just um, you'll get five emails from me, one, one a day that usually uh, doesn't take any longer than about five minutes. So you know, we're all very busy, but you you can sign up for the Finding Peace Five Day Challenge and and just walk through this um, walk through this little journey and using the model of Finding Peace to un, uncover what's going on and how you can find greater peace and joy in your life. So that's at troylove.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Troy, and we'll talk soon. You're welcome. Thank you again. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Troy L. Love, please visit his website, troyllove.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.